Well, there you have it, the message of that song. Good job. Let us love. Amen? Our speaker tonight is the same guy that spoke this morning. He's on page four of the book. If you want to know anything about him, turn to page four. Here's what I'm going to tell you before he comes. Number one, he is the, uh, he is the present area director for Assembly of God World Missions in India. He is the head of, of the Live Dead. He's developed teams. He's been in Laos. He's uh, been in India and serving there. He's been in the Himalayas. Uh, he served on the uh, campus of uh, University of Georgia. He's been everywhere. Would you welcome Joe Gordon, everybody? That's tough. You can't do a song like that and then stand up and talk. Would you guys, uh, let's, let's pray together. I think uh, that was in Greece, right? Refugees in Greece, people that are torn from their homes. Let's pray right now for the Word of God to penetrate. Father, we pray. We pray for your people laboring among refugees in Greece tonight. We pray for your people that are laboring among Syrian refugees all over Europe and across Asia today. We pray for those working among Afghan refugees. Lord, we pray for people that have been dislocated, people that have been broken, their lives have been shattered. Father, we pray tonight. Open their hearts to the truth. Send your people to share your word. Lord, as they give them food, Lord, we pray that beyond food, beyond shelter, that they would give life and hope that comes from you. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done, that you would be glorified among Syrian refugees, among Muslim people scattered all over the world. Lord, let your kingdom be established, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is so good. Amen. Wow. Yeah, I've got uh, uh, friends here. I, I, I wish I knew the whole crowd out here, but uh, Chris and Roger and Tim, they're working among uh, Muslim peoples in Africa and in the Middle East, and uh, we've got people working on campuses, just a lot of people over here who love Jesus and and just want to make Jesus famous. And it's just an honor to be able to be here with you tonight. Uh, one of my, my mentors is actually here tonight, uh, Brother David Stewart, who served for many, many years in India. And he was one of my mentors when I first went to India. He and Andrew McCabe and David Grant mentored me and taught me to love India and taught me how to work in India. And I'm so honored to, to be able to be here with him today. He's, he's right over here. I'm not going to make him stand. He's got a bad hip right now, but he's got his hand raised. So, man, he has uh, just been such an influence, and the Daniels are here tonight. I'm just, uh, I'm so blessed to have some of my heroes here with me tonight. They serve for many years. Many of you have heard of the move of God in uh, Tamil Nadu, where Pastor Mohan has over 50,000 people in his church today, and Brother Stewart mentored Pastor Mohan. That's Pastor Mohan's mentor, a church of 50,000 people that's planted over 200 churches throughout India. And so he is just a great, humble man of God and so glad to have him here with us tonight. Well, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we talked today about uh, the heart of God, the searching God who tries to bring people to himself. And that leads us to the issue then, if that's the truth, if God's trying to bring all people to himself, then what's the problem? 
2,000 years ago, after Jesus died and resurrected, he came back and he spent 40 days with his disciples. And for 40 days, he taught them the same thing over and over and over again for 40 days. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all people. Do you understand? Yes, Lord, we got it. We're going to do it. Go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I'm teaching you. Do you understand? Yes, Lord, we got it. We're with you. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. Do you understand? Yes, Lord, we're going to do it. And then literally the last thing he did, he takes them out onto a hill, and his very last words to them were, you're going to receive power when you go back to Jerusalem, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you understand? Yes, Lord, we are ready. And then it says, literally, can you imagine this moment? Jesus, in that moment, ascends up into heaven. And he's ascending up, and they're there for the moment. It must have been, just can you imagine being there? And here's Jesus going up into the clouds, and they're watching him, and he's gone. They can't see him anymore. What are we supposed to do now? I mean, if he wanted us to do something, he should have told us, right? (laughs) Where'd he go? (laughs) And it says literally, you can see this in the Bible, Acts 1.11. It said literally, God had to send an angel down. I mean, he's only been gone five minutes, and now he has to send an angel down and say, why are you standing here looking up into heaven? They're like, Oh, yeah, that's right. Go to Jerusalem, get power, reach the world. Let's do it. And they went and they started doing it. Things started changing. And then uh, from there, we've been regressing backwards. Because in their lifetime, the early apostles, the 11, they reached every part of the world they knew existed. They hadn't heard about North America yet. They hadn't heard about China yet. But everywhere they knew existed, they took the gospel as far as they could take the gospel in their life. They lived true to this word from the Lord to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all people. They remembered the the vision. John portrayed this vision to the early church that around the throne of God, there will be people from every tribe, from every Every tongue, from every people, from every nation, they'll be represented. And they work towards this end. And somewhere along the way, the church became static and decided that simply worshiping and going to church and praying was enough. They decided that having us together is enough. And they stopped going forward. And I believe that one of the reasons... We stop going forward is we lost a theology of suffering. We lost a theology of sacrifice. That somewhere along the way, we decided that God's chief purpose for our life was our personal happiness. We decided that what God wanted more than anything else was for me to have prosperity. And we lost something of that passion that would lead us to suffering. And I believe today the number one reason that the lost are not being reached in our generation is the church's unwillingness to sacrifice. The church's unwillingness to suffer. 
to enter in to difficult, desperate places. You see, the majority of the unreached people in the world today live in difficult, dangerous, hard-to-access places that may cost us everything to reach them. And the only reason that you and I are here today is when the early apostles were confronted with this same decision. If you continue to preach, they were told, we will beat you. We will throw you into prison. If we have to, we will kill you. Stop preaching the gospel. The early disciples made a decision. It's better to die and be faithful to Christ than to live without walking in his call. They made a decision. And it is time again in the church that we make that decision on behalf of a world that is waiting. You know, one of the scriptures that often trips us up, Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. I would contend there's no place in our modern theology for the place of suffering and pain and loss. And, and, and how we look at certain scriptures reveals that. Matthew chapter 27 Jesus is on the cross, and it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. Verse 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what we see in this is the desperation of Christ. We see that Christ in this moment, he seems confused and, and seems to not know, you know, what's happening? Why is this happening? It seems to confirm our worst fears about suffering, that when I am suffering, God has abandoned me. It seems to confirm our idea that somehow if we're suffering, we must be out of the presence of God. But there's another scripture that, that seems to fight against this. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, it speaks of a moment after this when it says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. So one scripture seems like desperation and the other one seems like confidence. And I would submit to you today, the desperation is because we don't know the song. How many of you, we're going we're gonna to try something here. And you know, I, I'm convinced that every Christian, you can know how old they are by what songs they sing when they're alone. I mean, it tells you when people got saved. It's like cutting a tree and you just know by the, the rings on the tree, you know how old it is. So I'm going to sing a song. I'll start with the oldies, all right? So you guys probably, you're not even going to know the song. But I'll start with us. And I want you just to fill in. Amazing grace. You see, you know the song, right? All I had to do is, first verse, you know the song. Now, now here's another one. This is going to age us middle-aged people. This, this is me and Dan right here. Majesty. There you go. Now, see, if I knew a modern song, I'd start it, but I don't know one. We don't sing them in India, so, <laughs> so I don't know any modern songs. We'd have to bring Randy back up here, and he could sing something, and then you guys could all join in. But you see, because you know the song, if you only knew the first part of Amazing Grace, some of it sounds tough, right? 
Some of it sounds like pain, right? But if you know the end of the song, the song is, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. And because I know the end of the song, when I start the song, it doesn't worry me. You see, when we hear, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We hear despair. But every Jew who was standing before Jesus that day would have immediately started singing the song. Psalms chapter 22. Come sing with me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Verse 7 of Psalm 22. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Verse 16, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. But you, Lord... Do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to me. If we stop singing there, we're in despair. But you have to finish the song. And all the Jews would have finished the song. Verse 22. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over all the nations. Wow, that's a different song, isn't it? <laughs> that's a different song from my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus sang the first part of the song but he wasn't in despair because he knew the end of the song. He knew that his suffering was leading to life, that his death was leading to victory. And I can tell you today, if we are going to see victory and life in the world today, it will only happen as we walk in the path of our Lord. Victory, life comes through the path of the cross. Can somebody say amen? It brings together these statements. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus was not despairing, but rather he was preparing himself for the work that God had sent him to do. Suffering, the cross, is not the path of defeat. It is the path to victory. Hear me today. Suffering, the cross, is not the path of defeat. It is God's final path to victory. And if we're going to see victory in Somalia and victory in Djibouti, if we're going to see victory in Saudi Arabia and victory in Afghanistan and victory in India, if we are going to see the kingdom of God ruling and reigning, it will only be through a people who have taken up their cross and follow after Jesus. If we can give our sons and daughters 
to fight and die for the freedom of nations, how much more willing should we be to give our sons and daughters that the kingdom of God would be established in all the earth? I love our country. I'm grateful for our country, but I love Jesus a whole lot more. (laughs) If I would die for my country, then how can I say I love Jesus and not be willing to give my life for him? For an eternal kingdom, for a freedom that can never be taken away. The cross is not just the instrument of our salvation. It is the model of life and ministry. Salvation is not just the instrument through which Jesus brought us salvation. It is also the model of how we are to live our lives here on this earth. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. We don't get to hear these scriptures very much anymore. It's like they never existed. (laughs) We get to hear some scriptures all the time, and then other scriptures just kind of fade into the dark because they don't sit well with our sensibilities. Let me tell you, Until we take up our cross again and follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we will never see the breakthrough that we desire. We can pray and we can desire and we can sing and we can do all of these things, but until there is a generation who is willing to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, we will never see the kingdom of God established in the darkest places of our earth. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, He said, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What is it that surprises you? You know, how many of you ever had an accident or something and said, God, why me? (laughs) You ever been there? Or like, you spill your coffee, God, why me? I mean, just everything that happens, God, why me? How many of you have ever had a blessing and you're like, God, why me? Why is it that good things don't surprise us? Well, I'm a good guy, and I go to church, and I pay my tithes, and I mean, it's expected, right? (laughs) I mean, if I get a new house or get a new job or get a new car, I'd say, oh, thank you, Jesus. But I'm not surprised by it. I mean, God's good, and I'm pretty good, and so I get these good things. It never surprises us. Can you imagine what would happen if the things that surprised us changed Can you imagine what would happen as we as a people that we expected to walk through difficulty so that when difficulty came, we would just look and say, God, thank you for preparing me this moment. And when something, then something awesome happens to us, we're like, God, why me? There's so many others that need it more. God, why did you give it to me? Wouldn't that be amazing? You know, my sons, boy, they have to be careful because... Because, you know, my, my sons know. My, I have a son that, uh, you know, he came back for the fifth grade to go to school. And he comes home one day and he said, Dad, it's just not fair. I said, what's not fair today? He said, every kid in my class has a smartphone except for me and the pastor's son. <laughs> and it's just not fair. I need a phone. I said, well, who would you call? He said, well, I'd call you and mom. You don't need to call me and mom. I'm right here. (laughs) 
well, if you take me to the mall, I don't take you to the mall. <laughs> you don't get away from me, so you don't need a phone. But, but it's just not fair. And then I looked at him and I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. It's not fair. And as soon as I said it, he dropped his head. Because he's heard this speech about a hundred times. I said, son, you know, you're absolutely right. It's not fair. I said, it's not fair that you got to eat three meals today when there are millions of children around the world who haven't eaten today. I said, you know what? It's, you're right. It's not fair that you got to sleep on a good bed today while millions of children around the world are sleeping on the ground today. You're right. It's not fair that every day of your life you have a mother and father who have prayed for you and taught you about Jesus and taught you to love him while there are millions of people who have heard, never heard about you. You're absolutely right. Life's not fair, and you're on the good side of it. And he said, yeah, I know, Dad. Life's not fair, and I'm glad. <laughs> so that was the end of it. <laughs> Let me tell you, life's not fair. It's not fair that you got to hear the gospel twice today while there are people in this world who are 80 and 90 years old who've never heard it once. Life's not fair. And we need to accept the fact that you better be glad life's not fair. And we should be thankful and grateful. Never be surprised at difficulty. When I walk in the path of difficulty, I am walking in the path of Jesus. I am walking closer to him. He is walking with me. And if you want to have a true depth of relationship with Jesus, it will never happen as long as you walk on the casual broad road. It is only on that narrow road of suffering that you truly enter into the knowledge of Christ and into the power of of Christ and into the wisdom of Christ. Don't be surprised when difficulty comes on you. So don't be surprised at these fiery trials, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of God and His glory rest on you. The cross is not just the example for those living in third world countries who face persecution and danger and deprivation every day. It is also for us here today. The cross is for us. It is the model for every disciple Weakness, humility, detachment are values that all disciples must carry. The cross is foolishness, a stumbling block, an offense because it fights against our self-reliance. It points to weakness, not strength, humility, not pride, brokenness, not fulfillment. The cross. Until we enter into the path of the cross... We will never see the power of God. We will never see peoples delivered and set free. I was going up into some villages one time, and, uh, and I, I, hit a, I hit a sweet spot of just good stuff happening. I walk into this village one day, and I had this youth group with me from America. 
And so they're with me, and, uh, and, uh, and you can't preach in these villages that we were in because there was a lot of political spies that were there. We couldn't preach, but I told them, I said, just do some dramas. Just act out Bible stories. They're not going to know the difference. And so, so they just started acting out Bible stories, and we're doing, you know, uh, you know David and Goliath, and Sam, they're, they're acting out all these stories, and all the villages, there's no TV, no electricity, nothing else to do. So they're just watching these kids do these dramas. And then one of them said, hey, can we do Jesus on the cross? I said, yeah, might as well. So they, they do Jesus and crucified and dying. And then one of them says to me, he said, man, I just really feel we need to tell them about this. We need to tell them what it is. And I said, well, okay, if, if you're feeling it, let's tell them. And so, so I started in the language, and I start telling them that, you know, what you just saw is, is real and that the God you saw of, that was healing and open blinded eyes, that, that that God is real and he heals people. And so I said, if any of you are sick, uh, we're willing to talk to him for you, and uh, we believe he'll heal you right now. And when I said that, the whole crowd backed up. Everybody took a step back, and they're like, no. Not going to be me. I'm not getting in trouble. And they're just standing around looking at each other. And then one man steps forward, and his arm is just hanging. He can't move this arm. And he walks forward, and he said, okay, I'll try. He said, a few years ago, I, I broke a bone in my arms. I, I, can't, I can't use my arm anymore. And so we gathered around, just a bunch of students, and we gathered around, and we start praying. And, man, you, you know, you take students out of youth group and put them on the field, and all of a sudden they got faith. <laughs> I mean, they'd never pray for somebody with a broken arm in a football game, but put them on the mission field, and they're ready to go. Start praying at the football game, too. Amen? So they gather around, and we start praying. And as we're praying, this man, he starts shrugging his shoulder, and the next thing you know, he, he lifts his arm up. And when he lifted his arm, the village exploded. I mean, it just was like, wow! I mean, just everybody, they just exploded. And he takes off running. And when he took off running, I'm not sure where is he going. <laughs> and so they're all exploding, and he's gone. I mean, he just like, whoo, he just runs out. It was like an old-time Pentecostal church. They were doing laps. I mean, he just took off running. <laughs> and so now I'm wondering, where did that guy go, and what happened to him? And in a second, he comes back. He's got his mother. He's carrying his mother now. Now he's using this arm. He brings his mother, lays him down on the ground in front of me and said, my mom can't walk. Do it to her. <laughs> so now everybody's got faith. And so we just said, yeah. And so we gather around and pray. And all of a sudden, boom, she stands up. And I'm telling you, it was book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, Samaria. There was, I mean, it was just like exploded. I've never been a part of something like that before. It was just like a whole village erupted with like, whoosh, just praise. It was amazing. A couple days later, I walk into another village. And I, I'm coming to the village. And as soon as I get to a village, a man comes to the edge of the village and stops, says, stop, don't come. Don't come in the village. Don't come. Don't come. And so, you know, I thought there must be trouble. So he comes up and he doesn't get close. He says, stop right there. He said, there's sickness in our village. People are getting sick in the village. Don't come in the village. You, you need to stay away. Go around the village. Stay away from us. There's sickness. And uh, when he said this, one of the students said to me, he said, hey, I got a bottle of anointing oil. I said, it might work. So I shouted at the guy. I said, hey, I brought some medicine. He said, what kind of medicine? I said, it's good. I said, I'm telling you, I got some medicine. It's so good, none of us are going to get sick, and it'll heal everybody in the village. So I said, bring everybody out into the field, line them up, and I'm going to give them the medicine. 
So he brings the village out, all of them that are sick, and he lines them up on the field. And I come along, and they don't speak any English. So, so I've got this oil, and I'm just looking at them and smiling. And I said, you know, this medicine's so strong, it just takes just a little dab on the head. And it's just like, it's like, you know, essential oils. You know, it just poosh, cures everything. <laughs> if I had an evaporator, I wouldn't even have to put it on the head. Just like, poosh. <laughs> Wouldn't that be good to have anointing oil, of evaporator right here that just went poosh, into the whole room? <laughs> that would be awesome. This is when you know you're jet lagging. You start talking about stuff like that. So I don't even know where that came from. So they're all lined up. And I've got this oil in my hand. And uh, they don't speak any English. So I'm just smiling at them. And I take a little dip. And I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And I'm smiling. And they're smiling. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus. And I, I go down the list. And I told him, I said, hey, don't worry about it. It's going to be all right. Everybody's going to get well. And that night, we just slept in the village like, like we were confident. Nothing's going to happen to us. And you're all going to get healed. And the next day we went. A couple of days later, I gave him my phone number and said, hey, call me, you know, when something happens. A couple of days later, he called me. He said, it worked. Everybody in the village got healed. And I need some more of the medicine in case anybody ever gets sick again. And so I said, no, you got to come to my house to get the medicine. And he came to my house, and I said, hey, actually, it wasn't medicine. I was praying in the name of Jesus. He said, oh, really? Well, if that's what it is, I want it. And so we started talking about Jesus, and he went back and started quietly telling people, and people in the village started coming to Jesus. I mean, we're just on a roll. Have you ever just been on a roll? I mean, I, now remember now, I've been on the field for over 25 years, so don't come work with us expecting that this is what life looks like. I'm describing to you about two days in the last 25 years. <laughs> so some people hear these stories and like, oh, man, I want to go to India. And I'm like, yeah, you think you want to come to India. <laughs> Let me finish the story. And, and that'll, you know, so, so a couple of days later, I'm, uh, I'm going out again. And so... And uh, it was getting a little close to rainy season, but I thought, man, I think I can make it to at least one more village. So I take off, and rainy season hits. And, man, it is nasty. I'm up in this jungle area, and leeches just come out of everywhere when the rain first hits. And I've got blood all over me because the leeches will just get on you and drop off. And I've got, I took my shoe off one time. I had ten leeches in my toes, just like, just caked in there. I mean, it was, it was nasty. And we slogged for 12 hours through the rain, slogged up this hill. It was, it was nasty. And I get to this village, and when I get to the village I was going to, they, we didn't even share a common language. And so now I've got there, but I can't even talk to them. And so we're trying to communicate all night. We can't communicate anything. So finally, we went to sleep cold, muddy, nasty on the porch of this house, went to sleep. Next morning, we woke up and like, man, we got to get out of here. I don't want to be in this place anymore. It is, it is nasty. And so we start walking. And as I start walking, the next thing I know, this military patrol comes out of the jungle with guns raised, and they arrested us. And man, it's amazing how stuff turns from man, it just looks all good to the world's falling apart. And that started a journey of a couple weeks of, uh, of being arrested and locked up and, uh, and uh, interrogations, and it, it, was a, it was a dark time. And somehow we tend to think that, wow, Jesus was in me with me in one of those moments, but why did he leave me in the other moment? That why, why, why did Jesus leave me? Where did, where did Jesus go? And I can tell you, Jesus didn't go anywhere. When I was arrested, 
two of my closest disciples there were arrested with me. And uh, we went through this together. And years later, when the persecution really ratcheted up in our area, I was talking to one of them one time. His father had been in prison for about three months, and uh, they, they were taking the farmland away from him. They had closed the house church down. I mean, and life was just, it was just bad. His father ended up spending about six years in prison for preaching. And one day I was with him, and I'm trying to encourage him about, about his father and all this stuff that his father's going through. And I said, how you doing? And he said, well, he said, whenever stuff happens, he said, I remember back to when we were locked up together. And I remember seeing the grace of God on your life. I remember seeing how you walked with God in that moment. And that has given me courage to walk through these moments. Thank you for walking with God in difficult times. Let me tell you, God takes us through difficulty. God uses the suffering. God uses the pain. It is purposeful that God loves the law so much that God wants people to come to faith so much that he's willing to allow you to walk through difficulty. God loved you so much that he allowed his only begotten son to be beaten, to be flogged, to have nails driven in his hand, to die a ruthless death because he loved you. And if God loved me and you enough to allow his only begotten son to go through that, surely he's not withholding that from us, his other sons and daughters. That's how much... God loves the lost. He's willing to allow us to go through difficulty, to go through pain. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20. Paul said, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. We have to constantly pray that prayer every day. God, give me sufficient courage. Would you pray that prayer right now? God, give me sufficient courage. I don't need courage enough today to walk through the hills of Afghanistan. I just need courage today to walk through the streets of India. Those aren't the same. The hills of India... There's a good chance I may get beaten up, but I'm probably not going to die. Hills of Afghanistan, I might die. Today, I need enough courage to go back to India. Today, you need enough courage to do what God is putting in your heart and in your life today. Maybe today, you need enough courage to walk across the hall and to tell your classmate about Jesus, to tell your coworker about Jesus. And every act of courage builds strength in you and builds more courage so that God can do more in your life. God, give us sufficient courage that we need so that one day every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation will be seated around the throne of God. For to me, to live is Christ, verse 21, Philippians 1, to die is gain. You know, we've kind of turned this around. Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We've kind of turned this around. Here's, here's the American version. 
For me to live is gain and to die is Christ. So as long as I live, I get to gain all of these great things Jesus gives me. And then when I die, I get to go and be with him. You see how we've turned that around? For me to live is Christ. It is to walk in his suffering. It is to take up my cross. It is to walk in the footsteps of Jesus down the lonely, isolated road. It is to walk in the places where people need him the most. And then when I die, then I will gain. Then I will gain life. Then I will gain eternity. Then I will gain all the rewards. My reward is not in the here and now. My reward is with Jesus. For me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? You have a choice today. You have a choice of who you're going to live for. Will you live for your own gain? Will you live for your own pleasure? Will you live for your own life? Or will you live that one day around the throne of God there will be hundreds of thousands of Somalis calling on the name of Jesus? Will you live for yourself? Or will you live for the day that millions of Gujaratis and millions of Belgians and millions of French and millions of Italians and millions of Africans and Asians will be standing before the throne of God calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? What will we choose? Paul says, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. There was a conscious decision that he made. That that I know right now, Paul was saying, I'm in a place I could just say, you know what, Lord, I'm done. And it was like like God must have been ready to send down a chariot and just (laughs) take him up. Like, God, okay, done, finished. But he said, I'm not going to do what's best for me. I'm not going to do what's in my best interest. I'm not going to live for me. I'm going to do what's necessary for you. I'm going to remain, and I'm going to continue to serve Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, speaking of Jesus, he said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, Or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We are called to have the mindset of Christ. And what was the mindset of Christ when he had a decision to choose his own interest, or the interest of others. He said, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me, but not my will. Father, your will be done. That is the mindset of Christ. It is a mindset that says, I don't look forward to suffering. I don't look forward to death. I don't look forward to pain, but I value you more than I value myself. 
And if my suffering and if my pain brings life to you, then so be it. I want to tell you, there is no life without the cross. There is no life without suffering. When, uh, when we were first moving up into the hills of India, my son was born, and he was born with only one kidney. And the doctors said, you can't take your son to an isolated place like that. There's no doctors there, and he needs to be under supervision for the next year. He needs to get tested at least once a month just to make sure everything's functioning properly because we don't know why he lost the one kidney, and if he loses the other kidney, then uh, he's going to have to be in dialysis, and if you don't get him there quickly, he's going to die. So you can't be in an area like that. And we had a decision to make in that moment. Are we going to live for ourselves? Or are we going to follow the clear path that Jesus has laid out for us? My wife and I prayed. We stood before the Lord and said, God, we know that you have called us. And God, you know that I love my son. But God, you gave your son for me. And so I give my son back to you. I trust you with what I love the most. I trust you with my son. And so we went to the hills and we started preaching. After a couple of years of being there, we had to come out to get a, a visa. And so, so we do love our kid, and we want the best for our kid. So I, I went to the hospital to get him checked out. First thing, we, went, we were in Thailand, and I took him to a hospital in Thailand, and I showed him the old uh, x-rays, and I said, here's the x-rays, here's the diagnosis, here's what the doctor has said about our son, and would you just check him out and make sure his kidney's functioning all right? So they go in, and they do a test, and the doctor came out, and he looked really nervous at this point, and he said, we're going to have to run more tests. And, man, my, my heart just sank. Comes back again from those tests and says, uh, says uh, I'm going to have to run some more tests. And he runs some more tests. All day long, he kept sending him back for tests. You know, and, and there, actually, you could get an MRI, an X-ray, everything in one day, and they'd get it all back to you. It's just amazing how it functions. <laughs> So it actually functions. And so, so we're getting all these tests every time. He keeps sending us and coming back and telling us the results. And he's sending us and coming back telling us the results. And at the end of the day, he sits before me and he just looks at me a minute and says, I don't know what to tell you. And he throws down the old x-ray and he throws down the new test and said, your son has two kidneys now and I just don't know how it's possible. You see, when you live for Jesus, people live. <laughs> when you live for yourself, people die. And from that area where we went, we saw today we have over a dozen Buddhist monks who have come to faith from that area who are serving the Lord today. We have churches in that area today. There's a people movement in that area today. And God is moving today because the path of the cross leads to life. The path of selfishness leads to death. You see, that was a choice to make. To choose to live for ourselves is a choice for people to die. When we choose to die to ourselves, then people live. People live. We have a choice today. For thousands of years... The majority of us in the church, we have lived for ourselves. And because we've lived for ourselves, the majority of people in the world are dying without Jesus. 
When people in the church start to make a decision, my life is not my own. I'm going to live for Jesus. When people start to decide, I value the needs of others, maybe even others I haven't met, others I don't know, others who haven't heard, I value the needs of others more than I value myself. When we as a church begin to take the mindset of Christ on us, this world will be changed. When you have that mindset, it will change the way you pray. It will change the way you give. It will change where you go. It will change everything about your existence. To take that mindset on your life, that from this day, I am going to live like Jesus. I have been blessed to be surrounded with men and women who live fully for Jesus. And just to see what happens when people live fully for Jesus. I had this young Muslim boy named Gujar Hussein. He was an addict, a drug addict. And so he came to us in my trekking business, and I started saying, hey, help me out in the trekking business. So he'd go trekking with us, and then, then as he was helping to lead teams, and he would hear me talking to other people about Jesus and all. And so finally, Guljar gave his heart to the Lord. And Guljar went back home and told his father. His father was the imam at the mosque. And he went back and told his father, Father, I decided to follow Jesus. His father beat him up, and he locked him in a closet. He was only about 16 years of age. He locks him up in a closet, 16 years of age. He's only known Jesus for about three months at this point, beats him, and throws him into the closet. Every day for the next few months, he said every day his father would come to the door. He would open the door, and he said, Guljar, are you ready to reject Jesus? And he'd say, Father, I love you, but, but I can't turn my back on Jesus. He said he would throw a piece of bread at him and put a glass of water on the floor, and he locked the door. He did this day after day for months. Guzara told me it finally at the end, he said one night his father came in, and he talked to him harshly. He threw the bread at him, and, and he just threw the cup of water at him. He didn't have any water. And said, he's sitting in his room, and he was so despondent that night. And he said, Jesus, I love you, but I just don't know if I can take it anymore. He said, in that moment, the door opened. And he thought, man, maybe God spoke to my father. So he walks to the door, and there's nobody there. And he notices the front door of the house is open. So he walks out the front door. This is a very cold region of India. He, he walks out the front door, and he sees there's a taxi there, and the motor's running. You can see the smoke. And so he comes up to the taxi, and the guy rolls down the window and said, get in the car. He gets in the car, and he drives him three hours away to our church, drops him off. And we never saw the guy again. We assume God has angel taxi drivers. <laughs> and so he came out. And he's just like, man, just Jesus, you know, he's just, uh, he's just on fire for Jesus. And so he starts doing these Bible studies. And one night, he's coming back late at night from a Bible study. It's probably 11, 12 o'clock at night. He's coming back from a Bible study. And this mob stops him, and they recognize him. And, and they start to slap him around. He had another guy, another one of our young disciples with him named James. And he starts slapping him around. And, and, and then they pull out this can of gasoline. And they said, if you guys don't reject Jesus, we're going to burn you alive right now. And Guljar's like, go ahead, do what you got to do, but I'm not rejecting Jesus. And they said, you shouldn't have to die alone. 
we know Joe Gordon's here at his house. Why don't you go call him and let him die with you? You boys shouldn't have to die by yourselves. And Gulzjadr said, hold on to James. I'll be back in just a minute. And he comes running to my house. Middle of the night, he starts knocking on the door. He said, hey, Brother Joe, come on out. We got to go. We got to preach. And I come in my pajamas. I'm like, and it's cold. I'm like, man, what are you talking about? Preach. He said, yeah, there's some guys. And, and, they, and they said they want us to come and preach. Come on, let's preach. I said, what do you mean preach? He said, ah, they got James. They said they're going to burn us alive. Nothing's going to happen. Come on, let's go preach. I said, if you lost your mind, what, what are you talking about? He said, no, nothing's going to happen. Come on, let's go. I said, man, we pray about stuff like this. I don't know about you, but I pray. <laughs> so I said, come on inside. So we prayed. <laughs> I don't know, man, if it's a good prayer or a really long prayer. By the time we got there, I think they got bored and they all left, and James is just sitting there by the fire. So praise the Lord. The Lord saved us. <laughs> and from there... It got really bad from there. So from there, they started sending posters around saying, watch out for these people. I mean, literally, they cut us off. We couldn't go to anybody's house. We couldn't do anything. It was just completely shut off. We could barely move in the town. So we're sitting around one day. There was only four of us who loved Jesus there. Was me and these three Indian disciples. And we're, we're praying together every day because we can't do anything. We're praying, God, what do you want us to do? And one day we're praying. And in the middle of prayer, Guljar said, I got it. Jesus spoke to me. I said, great. So he pulls out this map. And he says, you remember that village where those people were open? And uh, I said, yeah, I remember they also sent a letter saying if we came back, they're going to burn us alive. He said, yeah, that village. He said, but God, God, I felt like God spoke to me. We're supposed to go back to that village. I said, we can't get there. They've got the roads blocked. There's no way we can go to that village. He said, we can get there. He said, look on the map. He said, if we take the bus out of town, they're going to think we're leaving. We can go over here. And then we take another bus up the other valley. And from there, it's only a 10-day walk. And then we can walk into the back of the village. And we'll be preaching before they know, we know they're there. That's your plan. And the other guys are like, that's, that's it. Let's do it. I mean, I'm supposed to be the leader. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. I was like, all right, so let's do it. So we get in the bus. It's Sonam, James, and Guldjader, and me. And so we get in the bus, and we go 12 hours in this bus. The next bus had no windows. We're going over passes that are like 15,000 feet up the mountain, snow, and there's no windows. And we come, and we get out, and then we start walking. And for nine days, we did the same thing for nine days. We would walk up over a pass. We'd come down the other side. And we'd go to bed. We'd walk for 10, 12 hours up over the mountains, down through the pass, get to the next valley, and we'd go to bed. And we did this. We didn't see a person for nine days. The 10th day, we got to the valley where this village is, and we're walking along this valley, and we get to this dry riverbed right in front of the village, and we sit down. And we're here now. And I'm looking at that village, and I'm thinking to myself, in my mind, there's only two options. They're either going to do what they said they would do. We had a copy of a letter that said, if you ever come back to our village again, we're going to burn you alive. That's what the elders of the village sent us. So I'm thinking, either today we're going to die or we're going to get hurt real bad. That's, that's our two options. And so we're sitting there looking at the village, and I look at Sonam, and it's amazing how nostalgic you get in those moments. And me and Sonam are sitting there like, man, I love you, brother. And so I said, okay, let's, well, I said, there's no going back. 
So uh, let's pray, and let's just ask the Lord to do something, because uh, I'm scared. He said, I am too. I said, I, 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 I don't know that I want to walk over there. He said, I don't either. I said, but we've come too far to go back now. He said, yep. I said, all right, let's pray. And we start praying. And as we prayed, a flock of pigeons just comes swooping down the valley. They came right over the, I mean, you could feel the wind of their wings just like over the top of our head. And they just come fluttering. And it, and it spooked both of us. And we both look up, and these pigeons fly around. And they land right in the center of the village, right on top of this house in the center of the village. And Sonam, he's a real spiritual type. He jumps up and says, praise the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord has gone before us. Let's go preach in the village. And I look at him and I said, man, Sonam, I'm sorry. Those are pigeons, not doves. And the Bible, the Bible doesn't say nothing about pigeons. He said, no, I'm telling you, man. We prayed. That was a sign from God. He's gone before us. I said, well, if it gives you courage, let's do it. So we stand up to go to the village. And that day, all day long, when you're, when you're up on the plateau, there's no trees. You're above the tree line. You can see forever once you get up there. I mean, you know, you're, you're through the mountains. You're up on the high plateau. You can just see forever. And all day long, there was a guy behind us riding on a yak who was steadily catching up with us all day long on his yak. And while we had been sitting there praying, the guy gets close enough to us to shout. He says, hey, hey. And so, so we stop. We're standing there with our backpacks. He comes up on his yak, jumps off of the yak, walks up to me, looks in my face, looks in Sonal's face, and backs up and said, I know you guys. I saw your poster in the village. <laughs> He said, I'm one of the elders that sent the letter saying if you ever came back to our village again, we'd burn you alive. <laughs> he said, I'm so glad you came back. <laughs> and and that's, that's nerve-wracking. <laughs> he said, a couple of weeks ago, we've had months of drought and terrible things happening in the village. He said, and a couple months ago, the elders of the village came together. And we said, man, what's wrong? What's happening? People are fighting. People are getting sick, bad stuff. Our village, just nothing's going right in the village. What happened? He said, and in the meeting, one of the elders said, maybe it's because we offended the God of those people. He said, so we prayed that day. If you are the true God, and if we have offended you, would you please send your servants back to us to tell us how we can make it right? And we walked into that village that day, and people started shouting. They welcomed us in the village. We preached the gospel in that village. And when we were finished, the head elder of the village stood up before him, and he said, from this day, Jesus Christ is welcome in our village. We will never hinder you again. If you want to follow Jesus, you make that decision. We'll never hinder you. And we've seen people coming to the Lord in that village. When you live for yourself, people die. When you live for Jesus, people live. People live. There are people all over the world today who are waiting on you to live for Jesus. 
There are people in the Horn of Africa today that are waiting on you to live for Jesus. There's people in North Africa, they're waiting on you to live for Jesus. There are people in the Middle East waiting on you to live for Jesus. There are people throughout the Silk Road and throughout Southern and Northern Europe that are waiting on you to live for Jesus. There are people in Cuba who are waiting on you to live for Jesus. There are people in Russia and in China waiting on you to live for Jesus. People in Indonesia and Myanmar and Thailand and Laos and Burma that are waiting on somebody to make the path straight for the coming of the Lord. They're waiting on somebody to die to their own dreams to die to their own ambition, to live for Jesus, that he would be made famous in all the earth. Would you stand with me and just lift both your hands and surrender to the Lord? God is calling us to the path of the cross. And the path of the cross does not start with death in a foreign land. It does not start with imprisonment in a foreign land. The path of the cross begins with sacrifice today. It begins with small little deaths to small little areas every day of our life. The path of the cross begins when today we decide that there are areas of my life I'm not going to live for myself any longer. I'm not going to do for me any longer. I'm not going to use all my money on me. I'm not going to use all my time on me. I'm going to live for others and not myself. The path of the cross starts today. Starts today. The salvation of the Saudi people doesn't start with somebody walking into Saudi Arabia as a martyr. It starts with somebody here making a small decision to live for someone other than themselves. It starts today. It starts now. It starts with walking across the hall of your school. It starts with walking across your office. It starts with walking across the street. It starts now with living your life for Jesus and not yourself. With making that decision, my life is not my own. I choose to live for Jesus. We've got people that are willing to pray, but if you just need to make a step of faith, a step of commitment, just to say, Jesus, from this day, I will walk the path of the cross. I'm not going to live for myself any longer, but I need your help to do it. I need sufficient courage. I need sufficient courage to do what I need to do. And I know it's not in me, so I need you to do in me what I can't do in myself. I need you to give me the courage, the strength, the commitment I need. So I'm taking a step of faith to come to you today and say, God, would you empower me? Would you strengthen me to do what needs to be done, to help me to be the kind of person that would stop living for myself and living for you. The prayer team is here. I'm going to also ask the other missionaries that are here. They're just going to come and pray. So if you want to dedicate your life today for the plans and purposes of God, I don't know where that's going to take you. I don't know where it's going to end, but you're simply saying, God, I am yours. Take me and use me for your glory. Help me to die to myself and live for you. If that's your desire, I want you to come right now. Just come right now. Come on, come right now. And I'm going to ask the missionaries that are here that you would come and find somebody to pray with. Jesus, 
Jesus. Jesus. I give my life away. Come on, right now, come. Here I am. There's some people right here. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 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 Oh, you can use me and give myself away. Come on, find somebody. There's some. If you see somebody with a badge on, they're missionaries here. Let them pray with you. Let them believe with you for the power of God to be released from a life lived for self, to be released from living for ourselves, to die to ourselves, to live for Jesus. I give myself away. Jesus, Jesus, I want all of you right now to think of specific things that you can be doing starting this week to put others above yourself, to put the cause of Christ above yourself. I want you to think specifically, people in your life who need Jesus, and I want you to commit yourself, God, this week with your strength, with your power, I want to share you with a friend, with a neighbor, with a coworker, with somebody who doesn't know you. God, give me the strength to do it. I want you to commit yourself to that this week. I want you to commit yourself to doing something you're a little afraid of this week. I want you to commit yourself to sharing, to doing, to going, to being something, to to stretching yourself just a little bit today, getting yourself out of your comfort zone to say, God, I don't want to be satisfied with the comfortable existence I have. I want to walk into the fullness of life that you created me for. If you're willing to commit yourself and say, this week, God, I want to make you famous. I want to make you known among somebody, a classmate, a coworker, I want you to think in your mind somebody that you can share Jesus with this week, a family member. And I want you to ask the Lord right now, God, would you give me sufficient courage to start there?
Give me sufficient courage. God, give me wisdom. And God, give me power to show your glory. God, would you help me this week? If that's your desire, just lift your hand right now and say, God, right now we are praying. If you know the name, just call the name out. God, would you help me this week to share your life with that friend, with that neighbor, with that coworker? Would you help me, Lord, to make your name famous? Give me sufficient courage to stand up for truth and righteousness this week. And God, I pray for wisdom that you would help me with the words to speak, Lord God. And God, I pray you'd show your power. God, if you want to heal through me, if you want to open eyes through me, God, if you want to give a revelation through me, God, I need your power. I can't do it in my own strength. So God, if you'll work, give that courage, that strength this week to begin a journey that one day will lead in people who've never heard walking into faith and walking into your kingdom. God, that is our desire. Lord, use us this week that you would be glorified in all the earth, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Somebody say amen. Give myself away. Just find your seat for a moment and we're going to ask the ushers to come. The appropriate thing to do is to receive the offering for the conference and for our missionaries. Take care of that and to do everything that we can. We do faith promises and we do cash offerings. I told uh, Joe before the service, what are you going to talk about tonight? He said, well, I'm going, to talk about, I'm going to talk about sacrifice. I'm going to talk about giving everything you got and sacrifice. My thought was, that ought to be a bell ringer, you know. I said, well, Joe, uh, too, you got, you got some stories in there, don't you? How many of you know that he, he did have some stories in the mix? Amen. But how many of you know that in every story, it was Joe that had to make the decision of self-sacrifice? It was Joe to say, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And everything that he said, I said, amen to, because if this church, his church, is going to make the impact that we need to make. We're just going to have to harness up. Amen? And do what we need to do. So would I encourage you to give in this offering tonight? If you say, I'm, I'm not going to be here this week, then get the card and fill it out. 
the part where it says your mission, faith, promise, whatever you put down, if you think you can do that, change it. Because God's not into what you can do. He's into what he can do through you. And would you consider a cash offering? And would you, when that offering bag comes from, or becomes, say this is a sacrifice. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to help. I'm going to assist. And I'm going to give. Because without it, you and I are going to miss a blessing. I can tell you this. The need will be met. Amen? That's not the issue. The issue is, Will I be obedient? Will I be obedient to God? Will I trust Him? Will I believe Him? So would you give accordingly? Please stay. When the offering bag comes by, let's just stay tight for a few moments, and I'll give the benediction. God bless you as you give. Father, bless as we receive this offering. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? I was praying this morning and uh, Joe was uh, speaking and I, I thought about it because I, I felt the Holy Spirit lay on my heart. People when he said age doesn't matter, uh, people being retired. And we have a plethora of people here at Victory Church have reached that stage in their life that they are retired. And I prayed and I said, God, in some way or another, take some of those people, if not all of those people. And in some way or another, tailor make at their desire to be obedient, tailor make something that they can be engaged in missions. In some way or another, God, in other words, mess up their retirement. Just shake it up. Do something beyond. Now, now some of you say, well, I ain't ever going to retire then if you're going to pray that way. You let God lead you. You know what I'm trying to say. Listen, friend. This is the hour that we need to press in and do whatever it is we're going to do and do it in the name of Jesus. So if that resonated with you this morning or tonight, then begin to pray about it and come communicate with us. And let's believe God together. Don't forget, Tuesday, you have a responsibility as a citizen. Go vote. Amen. Don't forget Wednesday night. Friend. Hallelujah. Wednesday night is going to be an exceptional night. 
as we gather together once again for God to expose to us his truth and challenge us to roll our sleeves up and say, come on and commit. Do it some more. Do it some more. Amen? Here we go. Father, in your name, bless and minister. Reach every person. Bless every missionary. Touch Joe Gordon as he crawls on a plane tomorrow. And God heads back to India. Touch another great man of God and David Stewart, God. Pray you keep your hand upon him serving in India for more than 200 years. I just know it, God. Minister and meet every single need. Lord, and touch this congregation with a new renewed enthusiasm for the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everybody.